We're so honored that you joined us for this week's message here at Hope Church in Kalispell, Montana. Our hope is that you will be encouraged and challenged in your relationship with Jesus. Be blessed as you listen to this week's message. Good morning, Hope Church. So good to be with you guys this morning. Man, was worship not awesome or what? I thought we were in heaven there just for a minute. It was so good. Thank you, worship team. You guys rocked this morning. So good. So glad that you're here. We are in the middle of a message series that God put on my heart. I want you to know as your pastor that um, we don't just pick message series to do randomly, that actually take it serious, that uh, God, I'm, I'm God's mouthpiece, if you will, to you and to our church. And, um, and so I pray into it. And months ago, God just gave me this idea, thinking about summertime. And I don't know how many of you have ever been to the beach and you go out into the ocean and there's warnings about riptides. And I don't know if you know what a riptide is, but a riptide is an undercurrent that you can't easily see. So in other words, you get in the water and you're having a good time splashing around and you don't realize it, but you could get sucked under by this undercurrent called a riptide. And what it can do is it can, can actually kill you by sucking you under the water and, and stealing the very breath out of your lungs. And when God gave me that picture, that as God's people begin to press in and step out in faith and pursue God and the more that God has for them, that we have some real enemies that want to pull you away, that an under, undercurrent or an undertow that we can't easily see, but is very, very present. And I believe that all of us feel it day in, day out, that as you start to get serious about your relationship with God and you begin to press into him and step out in faith, in obedience to the things that God is telling you to, that there's gonna be some things that are gonna to try to pull you under and try to suck the life out of you that God is trying to give you. And so that's, this whole message series, Riptides, became a part of what God was showing me and speaking to me about you and in preparation. And I feel like we've been in this unique season where as the church, we've really just been pressing into God. Even I felt that in worship this morning and, and I love it and it's wonderful. But I also, at the same time, as your pastor, feel the need to prepare you for these riptides. And so today, we're going to look at a passage of scripture in Mark chapter 10, beginning in verse 17, where this young, rich ruler, come on, how many of you like to be young? It's good to be young. The older I get, the more I realize it's good to be young. <clears throat> it's good to be rich. It's good to have some power. Come on, somebody. But when those things become the thing and they start taking first place in our life, we're gonna see that it has a way of getting, this world has a way of getting its ugly claws inside of us and on our soul. And when that happens, it is so hard to follow Jesus and to go all after him. And yet, God is so faithful that he will actually confront us with the issue of where's your heart? Are you fully in with me? Are you fully committed to following me wherever it might take you? So this is where we're gonna pick up this story in Mark chapter 10. If you have your Bibles, you can follow along. If not, we're gonna have it up on the screen for you. Mark chapter 10. The title of this passage is The Rich and the Kingdom of God. The Rich and the Kingdom of God. And how many of you this morning, I wanna just set this up for you that Whenever you read a story in the Bible, I want you to put yourself in the position of the people. Position yourself there. Think of it in that way. And immediately, I want to help you with this because you're not going to think of yourself as rich. If I said, how many of you are rich this morning? I would think that there wouldn't be very many hands that would go up and say that you're rich. But if you look at statistically speaking in the world, if you make $40,000 a year or more, you are in the 98th percentile of the richest people in the world. And so now if I asked you, are you rich? It's, okay, well, now that you said it like that, Pastor Lance, maybe I am rich. So I want you to think of yourself from that perspective because none of us are gonna immediately think and identify with the rich young ruler, okay? But I believe that for many of us living in America, we are very very rich. Come on, somebody. Turn to your neighbor and say, I'm rich. 
Mark chapter 10, verse 17. I'm so, see that? You feel better about yourself already. Aren't you glad you came to church? You feel rich. I just made you feel good. Mark chapter 10, verse 17. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked. Good sir, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. Now, let me pause right there for a second because when I've read that passage of scripture before, it always struck me a little bit funny that Jesus would tell him, basically, it, the way I read it, is that I'm not good. Now, let me just challenge you with something this morning, a thought, that I don't believe that Jesus was saying he wasn't good. He's saying only God is good. So if you're calling me good, then are you calling me a good teacher or are you calling me God? Because there's a big difference. So many of us, we want a relationship so that we can become a good person. But do we really want God to be God in our life? And if so, it requires following him. All right, I'm getting preachy already. But it's an important distinction that you need to know. Jesus knew his heart. See, this man was trying to find out, hey, Notice the language he uses. What do I have to do to inherit eternal life? And then he calls Jesus, you're a good teacher. And Jesus was flipping the script on him and said, okay, you called me good. Does that mean you're calling me God? And that's really the question. He wants to know, am I God to you in your heart? Do you trust me as God? Or do you just want me to be a good teacher? Do you want me to be a genie in the bottle to give you all the right answers and give you the formula so you could do enough good things so that you can inherit eternal life? Big difference. We'll get to that later. No one is good except God. He said, you know the commandments. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, you shall not defraud, honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared. You can imagine this guy's feeling pretty good about himself at this point. He says, teacher, all these things I have kept since I was a boy. And I love this. One of my favorite verses in the Bible. Jesus looked at him and loved him. Jesus looked at him and loved him. And he said to him, he loved him enough to not leave it there. He said, one thing you lack. He said, go. Sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. At all this, the man's face fell, and he went away sad, because he had great wealth. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? How hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for your word that encourages us, that challenges us, that convicts us, but most of all has the power to change us. God, we give you this time. We didn't come here just to hear a good message. We came here to be changed from the inside out. So God, I give you this time. It's your time. This is your mic. I'm your mouthpiece this morning. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would speak through me. I ask for your anointing to preach your word and let it not just be words, but let it be power. The power to change today, God, that's my prayer. That's my heart. I pray for every single person. I pray that whether they're watching online or here present, God, I pray that you would open their heart, that this seed of your word would fall into good soil and it would produce a harvest in their life. In Jesus' mighty name. And everyone said, amen, amen. amen. Now, church, something that God really has um, convicted me and put on my heart as a local pastor is that I believe we don't pray enough as a community. And since I have all of your attention right now, I'm going to ask that we pray for our nation. God has really just put on my heart over this last year that we need to get serious about praying for our nation and our world. And so this is called something the Bible calls corporate prayer. This isn't just me praying. It's all of us praying together, asking God to do something in our nation. Would you be willing to do that with me? Let's just take them. I think it's important that we take time out of our service to do that. So let's pray together. Father, 
God, I thank you for the honor and privilege to live in this great nation, the United States of America. God, we don't realize how blessed we are. For that, we say thank you. But God, we also say we are a nation that has turned away from you and has gone after the things of this world. And we ask and do what your scripture says. Father, we recognize it, and we ask that you would forgive us. Forgive us for turning away from you as a nation. I ask that you would forgive us and that you would heal our land. God, that we would be a nation that would turn back to you and that we would put you back in your rightful place. One nation under God. And so, God, we restore you to the throne of our hearts, and we restore you to the throne over this great nation. And we ask that revival would sweep over this great nation once again. God, I believe that a move of your spirit, that revival's the only hope that we have for our nation. Would you do it? Let it begin in Washington. We pray for President uh, Biden and Vice President Kamala Harris. God, we pray that if they do not know you, that they would come to saving faith in you. God, I pray that you surround them with godly men and women to give them counsel, to lead our country back to you. And God, right now, I want to lift up the nation of Afghanistan to you. God, I pray that peace would come to that nation. God, I pray for protection over the believers and churches and pastors over that nation, over the women and children over that nation. And God, I ask that you would raise up um, men and women to take back that nation, to eradicate evil out of that nation. And would you provide for that nation in Jesus' name? God, I also lift up Haiti to you. Father, we pray for the nation of Haiti. God, you, are, you have been shaking that nation. And I believe that you want to move in that nation. God, we pray for those who have lost loved ones and they're grieving and hurting. Would you draw near to them right now? God, we pray for revival over that nation. Your spirit would be released over it, that you would draw all men unto you in Jesus' mighty name. And all God's people said, Amen, amen, amen. I want to talk to you today about the current of culture. The current of culture. I believe that, that all of us, as we are pursuing God, there's this subtlety to the world. There's this subtlety to culture that gradually, just wave after wave, not only sucks us into its power, but is constantly pulling us slowly and slowly away from pursuing God and standing on his word and standing on his call in our life and being used by him to actually influence our culture more than our culture is influencing. You understand that's what the church is for. That's what we're here for. That's what you're here for. That's why you have the very spirit of God inside of you to be a, a more of a thermostat or a, I'm sorry, a fire starter than a thermostat. You know that there's a difference, right? I get that right. I think I blew that analogy. A thermostat and what is it? Thermometer. Thermometer. Thank you. Thermometers take temperature. Thermostats change the temperature. That's the difference between what we're supposed to be in our culture. We're supposed to affect and change and shape our culture more than our culture is shaping us. There's a quote I love by an amazing English writer. His name's Malcolm Muggeridge. And he said this, he said, never forget that only dead fish swim with the stream. Never forget, and I want to remind you this morning, only dead fish swim with the stream. Now, you know me, uh, I like to do a little research. I like to study why things are the way they are. And that quote got me thinking, why do certain fish swim upstream against the current? And as I was doing the research, and it's funny, I like to, uh, me and my family, every year we have a little tradition. We go up to Eureka, holler at my boy. Thank you, our church in Eureka, we love you guys. Um, we like to go up to Eureka, and there's like a two-month window where some of the um, salmon, the kokanee salmon, they swim upstream when they're spawning, and then after they spawn, they slowly go through this process of dying and, and decaying. And this happens every season, and it's fun because you get to go up there for a two-week period. Uh, they allow you, Fish Game Wildlife allows you to not just fish normally like you would where you put some bait, kind of like I demonstrated last week, you put a Krispy Kreme on a hook, you know, just kidding. That works for humans, doesn't work very good for, for fish. Now, I'm from Yonkers, New York, so somebody actually had to tell me that. But anyway, you put bait on a hook and normally you catch a fish that way, they bite. But this snagging is kind of fun because 
um, I guess they think, you know, the fish are dying anyway. What the heck? Uh, you can throw the three-prong hook out there and you snag the salmon. And that's how you catch them. And, and it's fun. But what I learned about fish that swim upstream is a couple things. The first one is this. They're, they actually get more oxygen in their lungs and have more life in them as they're swimming upstream. You get more life in you. Now you just swim with the current and you get in these pools, they're not very oxygenated. So, so fish will swim against the current to get more life inside of them. That's the first thing I learned. Second thing I learned as to why they do this is this. Once they reach an age where they become more mature, they recognize something instinctively is built into their DNA that they know that they have to swim upstream to reproduce. In other words, they've experienced life, and if life is going to continue to the next generation, they actually have to go against the current, and they have to be willing to die themselves for life to be reproduced. Now, when I saw that, I just saw such a parallel to what I want to talk to you about this morning, that this current of culture wants to try to make you comfortable. It wants it to be all about you. It wants you to get comfortable in your own life, that you enjoy your life, and you can have a little bit of Jesus and a little bit of you, but you never get enough of that life to actually be full of that life. If you're gonna get full of the life, you need the oxygen, the very breath of God. Do you know that that's what the word um, Holy Spirit, the word Holy Spirit or spirit in the Bible, in the Old Testament, it's the word ruach. You have to do it like in Hebrew and you have to get a good like lungi, like ruach. Like I know it's like a good lungi when you get it. It's the word ruach. In the New Testament, in the Greek, it's the word pneuma. Both of them, the best translation for spirit is breath. It's the very breath of God. And you understand that this is the source of our life. The Holy Spirit, the very breath of God, is our source of life. But you don't get that life going with the current of culture. The only way you get that life is when you make a decision that I'm not going to follow the ways of the world. I'm not going to follow the ways of popular culture and what it's trying to tell me how to live my life, what's going to make me happy, what's going to make my life full and rich. No, the only way that your life is going to be full, the only way that your life is going to be rich is when you make a decision, I don't care what other people are doing, but I care about following Jesus. And I'll let go of whatever I got to let go of, whatever weighing me down, so I could be free to fully pursue him. And that's when the life gets in you. That's where the source of our life gets in. And the second thing is, and I want to help you with this as your pastor, that as you mature in your faith, you come to recognize it's not all about you. It's not all about me. And see, this is, this is contrary to what our culture wants to tell you. In fact, it's even contrary to what some versions of Christianity want to tell you that it's all about you. And that even as we've been pursuing going deeper with God, we have to be careful because we could get into this mindset that what it means by going deeper with God is that it's all about me. That I come to church and I get my fill of God and they say, Pastor Lent, they sang my song. I got my Jesus jam on this morning. I love that song in worship and I worship the songs I like and I, worship the, I don't worship the songs I don't like and it's all about me getting my fill of Jesus and then going home so I could live the rest of the week like I want to and I get my fill. And you're missing the whole point. It's not about us. It's actually that when you read the Bible, that the Spirit of God has always been poured out on people for a purpose greater than themselves. That when the Spirit of God poured out on the day of Pentecost, that it wasn't just for the sake of the disciples, but it was to get you filled. That's what the word baptism means. Baptizo means to be fully immersed. That as the Spirit of God fully immerses you and his life, his joy, his peace gets in you to where it's full and overflowing, that now you have something to give to the rest of the world that is dying and is going with the current of culture and is looking for something real, real hope to hold on to. That hope only comes from one person, the person of Jesus Christ. But there's a pattern. There's a pattern to this world. There's a current to this world. 
It's exactly what Paul was trying to remind us and remind the Roman church, and I believe wants to remind us of today, that he said in Romans 12 too, he said, do not conform. That word conform means that there is a shape, there's a pattern to this world that it is trying to shape the way you think, shape your perspective, the way you see life, shape the way you do life. There's patterns to it. There's, in other words, there's mindsets that this world wants to indoctrinate you with, get in you, and it's even creeped into the church. This is when Paul warns us about a different gospel, that there's even this different gospel that's not the true gospel. There's this gospel, and it's prominent. You don't have to look far from it, that, that the church is here just to make you feel good. And so you come to church, and the, and the pastor will give you feel-good messages and pat you on the back, and I'm here to just encourage you and be your spiritual coach. Listen, I'm not, I'm not here for that. That's, I, I want you to feel good. I want you to grow spiritually. But just like Jesus, I care more about your spiritual growth than I do your comfort. And so I'm going to preach messages to you that I believe are biblical and that are the truth, no matter if they're popular. And that, you know what? I had to wrestle with that, to be honest with you. Even in the church realm, even in the church leadership, and even in pastor, there's, there's circles of thought. I've even had pastors tell me this. You know, I would try to keep it in here, pastor. Don't go there with certain, you know, doctrine or messages because that ain't gonna grow your church. And church, from a leadership perspective, can all about becoming popular. It could all be about getting butts in seats and dollars coming in. And, and, and we could get caught up in, in the current of culture, even in the church, to where um, we start leading the church actually more into the things of this world than into the things of God. And I got to tell you, I know there's a lot of new people here, newer to Hope Church, and maybe some of you are still trying to figure out, is this the church you want to be at? Let me tell you that I am committed as your pastor and as a local pastor that not to water down the gospel, not to water down the truth. And so even what will happen is, and I believe this is one of the things that is present in this thing called cultural Christianity. Cultural Christianity has affected, it's crept into the church. And what it's done is it's created this culture even within the church, just like this man, this rich young ruler. See, he wanted the benefits of the world, but he didn't want to have to let go of any of the benefits of the world to receive the greater benefit of the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God. And the world had such a grip on him that he couldn't, when he was challenged by Jesus, it was his all-in moment. It was his moment. Just like at the end of the service, I believe that the, there's going to be a moment like that for some of you where you're going to have to make a decision because the Holy Spirit is going to challenge you and convict you to let go of some things to get out of the current of culture that maybe you've been swimming in and, and it, the realization is that's why so many in the church are hurting. That's why so many of the church are dying. That's why so many in the church are lacking power. They're lacking love. They're lacking peace. They're lacking joy. Why? Because we're just going with the current of culture. And we get into this cultural Christianity piece where I'm good, you're good, and yeah, we do enough good and feel good. In fact, there was a, a quote from... Um, a godly man that does, he, he's a teacher, a professor at Wheaton College, and he does a lot of research along with Barna Institute on the, how culture is affecting Christianity and statistics. And one of them is this, scary. 50% of all professing believers believe that the Bible is all true. 50%, half. Half of professing Christians actually believe that the word of God is the infallible authority in their life. Now he, he had this quote and it really it stung me and, and it awakened me God help us. Here's the quote he says there's a form of Christianity cultural Christianity that is prominent in 21st century America. It has been aptly labeled moralistic therapeutic deism say that three times fast moralistic therapeutic deism, a faith defined by a distant cosmic ATM God who only cares that we are nice to one another 
and feel good about ourselves. Now, when I look at the state of Christianity and I look at the state of the church, and listen, I'm not trying to knock on church. We, we are not a perfect church. But I'll tell you what is perfect. Our hearts are perfectly aligned with going after all that God has and going after the full gospel, the true gospel. That's my heart. I hope it is yours too. But we have to be careful and recognize that there are cultural patterns and cultural currents that if we're not aware of them and we don't recognize them happening in our own life, they will pull you away from what God is trying to do in your life. And so here's a few of them. The first one is this, moral relativism. Moral relativism. Relativ well, relativism mean, simply means that it's situational. It's a form of situational ethics that I believe God, I believe the Bible, but in certain situations, the Bible or the Word of God may or may not be true in my life. So really, relativism says there's no absolute truth. That truth is all relative on the circumstances you find yourself in and whether you believe them to be true or not. And that can be determined by science, it could be determined by popular culture and persuasion, or it could be determined by how you feel about it, your own feelings. And this is where you see so much happening in our world right now. Well, Pastor Lance, I know the Bible says that, you know, you shouldn't sleep with anyone outside of marriage, but I really love this person. And God is love, and he wants me to be happy, and he wants me to, you know, experience love. So why would he keep me from something that is good, that is loving, and that makes me happy? And let me tell you something. God cares more about your total happiness, not your temporary happiness. And there's a difference. This world offers a temporary happiness, but it's here and then it's gone. There's pleasure for a moment, but sin weighs on you. And the Bible says that don't, God will not be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. If you sow in to pleasure, you sow in to the world, you're going to reap the things of that. In fact, Romans 1.25 says this. Here, I think, is a beautiful picture of what happens with moral relativism. It's this. We've exchanged the truth of God for lies. Paul said they exchanged. Now, mind you, he's talking to believers because in a couple of verses before, he says, although they knew God. He's talking to people that knew God or said they did. They exchanged some things. And look what he exchanged. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie, the things of this world, and worshiped and served created things more than the creator who's forever praised. Amen. Can we just take a moment? and praise God, who is forever praised. Amen. Do we have to have, do we have to have the beard get back up here? Come on. You can give praise because God is truth. And so let me just tell you this. This is something, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you've got to wrestle with this and you've got to come. This is why if you look on our statement of faith, we believe that this book is the inherent, God-breathed, Spirit, Holy Spirit-inspired Word of God that is infallible, and it is the authority over every believer and every church's life. I either believe that to be 100% true, or it's not true at all. There is no in-between, people. I mean, there are some prominent worship leaders, prominent pastors that have said stories like Noah, oh, they're just a metaphor. That isn't real. They're just stories. No, 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 no. Bro, you cannot pick and choose what you think is a metaphor and what you think is the word of God in the Bible. It's either all true or it's not true. I'm sorry. There is no in between. And this is the authority in my life or it's not. Even Pilate said, and I think more than ever, we got to be careful where we're looking for our source of truth. Where do you look for your source of truth? Is it CNN? Is it social media? I remember recently asking somebody, somebody told me something, you know, about what's happening in our world right now. And I said, wow, it kind of shocked me. I'm like, where did you, where did you hear that? I said, oh, I, I saw something on TikTok. I'm like, come again? 
Like seriously, bro, like that's where you're getting your information, TikTok. And that's the reality of the world that we're living in is that we are listening to social media and to mainstream TV and media more than we are the word of God. Can I, can I give you a little bit of secret from the word of God this morning? Because the media, is, it's all bad news. It wants to inflict fear and anxiety on you and it's doing such a good job of that. Can I tell you what the Bible says? We win in the end. Jesus is victorious. His bride, he's coming back for a spotless bride and we win. We're the head, not the tail. And you don't gotta be afraid. Fear not. Fear not. You know that the Bible says fear not 365 times in the Bible. One for every single day. All this world wants to do is try to suck you in to its media stream where it's feeding lies and fear and anxiety in you so that you get so afraid that you don't even want to come to church. Now, I understand there's health reasons, and I respect that. This is a real virus is killing real people, and that grieves my spirit. And I, I've been praying against that virus in Jesus' name because I believe it's from the pit of hell. But I'm telling you, once it starts putting enough fear in people that they don't even want to be around other people, well, then he's just done his job to isolate you, to pick you off one by one. And he's picking up, even our young people, man, it just, I spoke to our youth this past Wednesday and it just infuriates me. When I look at the statistics, when I see suicide happening the way it is, that there is a, that all of hell has been unleashed on our young people. That's why God put in my heart, I wanted to pray for our young people going back into school, that they are going into the current of culture and God help us to pray for our young people and they'd be able to stand. Even when that current is coming at them, they would have the courage to stand and we need that courage too. The second thing is this, the current of materialism. It's the spirit of the world. And Jesus said himself, he said, you can't, love money and love God at the same time. He says, you're going to hate the one and love the other. You're going to be frustrated. You're going to resent one. And this is where we find too many of us say, oh, I'm not materialistic. Well, let me ask you something. What are you giving your life to? Where are you spending your time? Where are you spending your money? Where are you spending your resources? Show me that and I'll tell you what you really worship. Because true worship isn't just singing, shouting, dancing, what we did just a little while ago. True worship is love expressed. It's adoration expressed. That's why I love when we sang that Revelation song that we sang, God, I adore you. Like my affection is for you. You have my heart. But the problem is, for too many of us, what we value is what we worship and you become what you worship. And for too many of us, that means we're giving our time and money and our heart and things to this world more than we are to the kingdom of God. Jesus said something profound as well. He said, where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. Look at, look at the order. It's what you treasure first, what you give your time to, is where your heart follows. So in other words, it, listen, I love you, <laughs> but I gotta speak the truth in you. I've seen 50 years ago, women didn't go to work and it wasn't because they weren't valuable. So just get that out of your head right now. Um, women are amazing. They didn't go to work because there was a higher value for family and parenting than there was for making money and affording a lifestyle keeping up with the Joneses. <laughs> Holla at your boy. And, <laughs> and the American dream and the American way took over in the hearts of people and having more things, more possessions. And we don't think we, we don't think the world's got a hold of us. But how many of us two people go to work because we want a certain lifestyle? We want to have that new car. We want to have that camper. We want to have those toys. We want to go hunting. All good things. God, listen, God wants you to enjoy those things. He just doesn't want them to take first place in your heart. He doesn't want, when he comes to you and says, sell that thing, sell that camper, sell that car, that you're not, no, 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 I can't do that. That's my baby. I can't do that, Pastor Lance. That's my fun. That's, that's how I, I get me time. Oh, yeah? Well, how about 
Maybe your wife could stay home with your kids that are suffering right now and that are going through some things and you would put the value of family. Maybe you could actually serve in church. And you know, how many times I've talked to people about, man, I love to serve in church. I just don't have time. Do you know what that's saying? That's saying my calendar owns me. I'm a slave to my things and I have no control over my life. I am stuck in the current of culture and I can't get out of it. I'm a slave to my calendar. I'm so busy trying to make a living that I don't have a life. And we get into this current of materialism and it gets its ugly claws in us. And God is calling us deeper. He's calling us to step out into areas of faith and to follow him and to trust him. And we can't do it because it's got too much of a grip. The next thing is this. It's this idea, ideology, if you will, called hedonism. Now, many of you don't even know what that word means, but let me tell you what it means. Hedonism is this line of thinking or a belief that pleasure is the com- pleasure and, um, in life is the highest good. So whatever makes me feel good and what makes me happy, that's the highest good in life. So that's what we live for. We actually live for pleasure, to feel good, to be happy. Now think about that for a minute. How many of us, like, that's the goal in life? That's what we're living for. I just want to be happy. Well, what are, you, what are you basing your happiness on? Are you basing your happiness on things and status and youth and whatever it might be? But too many of us, we're basing our happiness on all of our circumstances and our life aligning right. And yet, so this is what happens. Last week I talked to you about how God will allow trials and temptations in, your, in our life to sift us. And God will do that, but here's the problem. We need to have tests in our life. We need to be tested in these areas because it's within those tests that our heart is revealed. But too many of us, we don't want to experience any pain or suffering in life. We've, gotten, we've bought into this idea of hedonism that our life should be as comfortable as possible. So man... Pastor Lentz, I love your church, but it's just a little too far. I got to drive a half an hour to go to your church. Or, you know, I really like to go camping on the weekend, and you don't have a midweek service. So, um, you know, I'm going to go to another church that has a midweek service, even though I, I really feel like, man, I love the church, and God has called me there. But I'm going to do that because it's more comfortable. It's more convenient for me. And this is even, even this is, we got to be careful. Let me tell you something, as charismatic, spirit-filled people, that we don't get into this place where we think that worship is all about us. It's all about getting my feelings on. And I got goosebumps on because I felt the spirit of God and that I'm getting my fill and going deeper with God is all about me and, and Christianity and my, my spiritual life is all about me feeling good. Read, have you read your Bible lately? Tell me how many people that God, in the middle of suffering, in the middle of pain, yesterday, I had the honor to lead a memorial service for a beautiful lady. That passed, that cancer took her. And I had to stand up here and look the family in the eye that are grieving, going through pain. And I had to look at people that are here as well. Tears coming down their face. And in the middle of the pain, their pain, I said, that's when God can get your attention. That's when God, actually Judy Johnson, who we did the more, so she wrote this beautiful um, poem about this hope diamond. And that diamonds, they have to be cut away and chiseled away so they can accurately reflect the beauty that's inside of it. And that's exactly what happens to us through pain and suffering. Like we go through things, but here's the problem. We have adopted this idea and have gotten so used to living a pain-free life. Think about most of our life is all, we set up our life to be as pain-free as possible. We don't have to want to go through anything. We don't want it to be hard. We want it to be as easy as possible. And yet when I read my Bible, it is in the middle of pain and suffering that we become most like Jesus. Because it's in those times that God can remove, strip away, sift away those things that are holding us back from truly surrendering to him and following him. And so here, here's what happens. We abort the process. We feel a little bit of the pain and we don't like it. And we want to feel good. So we medicate ourselves and we get out of the fire. And in the very process, we miss out on what God is trying to use in our life to form more of Christ in us. 
And you and I, we can't buy into this thing called hedonism. We can't buy into this thing that we need to always be happy, that we need pleasure and comfort and convenience. The last thing is this, is this thing called individualism. Individualism. I call it the I culture. Now, all of us, well, not all of us, you sorry suckers who have Samsung, sorry. Um, all of us who have iPhones, I got iPhone, I got an iPad, I got my iMac, and think about it. It's got a little apple with a bite out of it. Now, I'm not trying to say apple Satan or anything like that. Okay, so hear me out. <laughs> all right. I, I'm not against technology. Obviously, I use it. I think technology is a lot like money. It's neutral. It could be either used for good or bad. And I think technology is wonderful. Right now, there's people watching it to be able to watch because of technology. Yet, technology could be used to do some really terrible things. And one of the things that I believe it's doing that is not good is that it is sucking us into this individualism where, you know, I go on a family vacation to spend time with my family. What happens? We're driving in the car, and each of my kids, they have their own iPhone. They got their own headphones. They're listening to all their own music. Basically, I could be my own God. I could, I could get whatever I want on my iPhone, my iPad, and I don't need anybody else. I can even have manufactured fake relationships with other people through social media. I'm sorry if I'm stepping on some toes. Social media is great. It has its place. I use it. But we live in a selfie culture where two things I think we have to be careful of with social media, and that is that it gives us this false idea that we actually have real relationships with other people. It's becoming its own church. It's like, I can like things and heart things, and I can share what I wanna share with people, and I can connect with them, and I've got a thousand friends. Yeah? But how many people actually really know you? Like, know you know you. Like, know who you are. Know the calling of God on your life. Know the things you struggle with. That's why in the next couple weeks, man, you're going to hear me harp on you. Get in a connect group. That's not just a ploy. I'm, I'm not trying to do that for my sake. I'm trying to do it for your sake because I know the power of community. I know the power of relationship. That, that God made you to need relationship, not just with God. It's the principle of the cross. I've got this vertical relationship with God, but I also have this horizontal relationship with other people, and they're both important. And so what social media does is it tries, for too many of us, we're looking to find our significance on social media. This is ravaging our young people because all of us are built in with this thing where we need to be known and to know. And so look at it's just like, I believe the spirit or the current of culture is the same spirit as the spirit of Babylon. When you look in the Bible, and I know that might be a weird word to some of you, but do some research, go in the Bible, read about it. It's in Revelation, it's in the Old Testament, but the very first time that Babylon is mentioned, Babylon was this place, it's more than a place, it's a spirit, it's the spirit of the world. And the people, tried to build a high enough tower to reach heaven on their own apart from God. And it says, so that we can make a name for ourselves. Now look at our culture. It's trying to tell you, you're not significant if you don't make a name for yourself. And social media becomes the platform where you can make a name for yourself and get yourself out there. Why? So somebody does this or this. And now you can feel good about yourself. And it creates this false identity that, that we, if we're not careful, put more value on somebody giving us a, a thumbs up or a heart that doesn't even know you. It's time to take the filters off. It's time to just stop putting out on social media that my life is wonderful and it's great until you actually sit down over a cup of coffee with somebody and share with them what's going on inside of you, it's not even real. I would say it's a very shallow relationship. And I want more for you. God wants more for you. So how do we combat all this? It's pretty simple and not. 
You put God first in your life. That's a lot easier for me to stand up here and say that than it is to live it out every day. But the reality is, is the real way that we worship God is we say, God, I'm not gonna just put you in a box in my soul. You're not gonna just be a part of my life that when I need something good, when I need you to come through for me, I'm gonna pray, I'm gonna seek you. When I get that phone call, God, I really need you to come through. Where's my genie in the bottle? Where's my ATM God? God, my finances are running low. I need you to come through for me. That's not the kind of relationship that God ever wanted for you. All he wants to know is do I have your heart? Am I first in your life? He doesn't mind you enjoying the things of this life. He just wants to know, I'm first in your life. I'm number one in your life. I hold the highest place in your heart. For too many of us, if we were to answer that question honestly, the answer would be no. And I've allowed some things to take Jesus' place in my heart. And here's what I think is the greatest danger of all that our hearts can grow cold. We can come in a church service like this and we forget what this is really all about. All it's about is falling in love with a person named Jesus. And he gave his life for you because he loved you so much. This whole book is a testimony. It's a love story. God creating his most prized possession, making you in his image and his likeness, putting his very life and spirit in you and wanting to walk with you and have this relationship with you where he could love you, pour out his blessing on you. You understand that God's intention from the very beginning was to have a people that were set apart. And we even have to be careful about that. But he wanted a, a people that would love him and that he would love them back. And that because of that, the blessing and hand of God and favor and life would be upon them. And the nations of the world would look on them and say, wow, what's different about you? That's exactly what God wants for your life and my life, that as we leave this place, that there would be such peace and joy and life and blessing and of God on you, that you would live so different, not going with the current of culture, but you'd be going up a different way say what's different about you there's a sparkle in your eye there's something about you that just you're going through stuff like I am but you're at peace I'm missing that how do we get that back so just recognize that I need Jesus more than ever man with this story many of you heard this story before and many of you know this about me some of you don't when I was in business, I traveled the world. I was making a lot of money, successful, working with Fortune 500 companies. And one time I was on a business trip in Europe and I got invited to this really fancy dinner, probably the nicest dinner I've ever had in my life. And there was executives from Google and eBay and Amazon, all there. Seven course meal, one of the finest chefs in all of Germany, Berlin, prepared seven course meals, come out for each, each course and describe the, the next course to you and pair it with fine wines and all this, this stuff. And, and I remember sitting there enjoying this dinner and, and there was a moment where it seemed like the world stopped around me and it was almost like an out-of-body experience. And I could hear the conversations happening around the table, talking about, thinking about buying this yacht and, and uh, you know, this, this person, their, their son just went to Harvard and, you know, they just got this new Tesla and all this stuff, the house and Martha's Vineyard that they were thinking about selling, you know, because they don't go there that much. It's their third home. And for a minute, I started to be a little bit envious started to think, man, maybe I can have some of those things, you know, one day. And in the very next moment, down the other end of the table, I hear conversations happening. Yeah, I'm getting divorced for the third time. And my son is in rehab right now. 
I haven't spoken to him in three years. Yeah, you know, I, I gotta remember to take my pill. Otherwise I get, I get too anxious and all these things. And I remember some of them were going to a gentleman's club after and they invited me and I said, no, 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 thank you. I don't, that's not me. I'm not interested in that. I said, I'm gonna walk back to my hotel and I walked the streets of Berlin at 11 o'clock at night and it just rained. And I'll never forget that walk. I never could understand why people would drift away from God. But in that moment, I felt the pull of this world on me, trying to get its ugly claws inside my soul. It was about a year later that I was offered an opportunity to become the lead pastor of this church. And if I had not already decided a year before that I would never on that walk home, I said, God, forgive me for even thinking for a moment and letting the world pull me in that direction. So God, when you call me, I promise that when you call, I'll say yes, and I'll follow you wherever you go. And when that call came, it was one of the hardest decisions of my life. But you know what made me say yes? I had this picture of being old and gray and on my deathbed and with my family around me. And I had every fear inside of me that I would regret someday not going all in with Jesus and giving him my whole heart. And in that moment, I said, God, whatever you have to do, I don't want that to be me. I wanna live my life fully surrendered to you, no matter the cost. If you tell me to sell something, I'll sell it. If you tell me to drop it, I'll drop it. So I wanna ask you as we close, just close your eyes. And I just feel like the Holy Spirit would want us in this moment to just repent. And to just ask God forgiveness. God, forgive us for allowing the current of culture in this world to get in our hearts, to pull us away from you, to draw our affection and our attention to those things instead of being fully surrendered to you. Today, right now, I make a decision Whatever it costs me, whatever the price, whatever you tell me to do, I'll say yes. I'll lay it down at your feet because there's no one like you. Come on, right now, would you just, I want you to wrestle with this. Have you surrendered your whole heart to God? Or are you holding back? some of you that means today you're going to make a decision that you're going to surrender your life fully to Jesus for some of you, you did that a while ago but like it says in Revelation that you've lost your first love and you want it back thank you for joining us for this week's message from Hope Church if you enjoyed this message, you can easily support the ministry of Hope Church at hopechurchmt.com give. Also follow us on social media at hopechurchmt. Be blessed and have a great week.